Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Urs was in the wrong. Tactical. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Welcome back to the front three. Myself, Lawrence, and Chris Hennage, your three up top this week. Halloween week. So we thought, who better to talk about than the invisible man himself, Mesut Ozil. The World Cup winning Germany midfielder has been left out of Arsenal's Premier League squad and Europa League squad for the season following a growing rift between the player and club. With his diminishing influence in recent years punctuated last December by his condemnation of China's treatment of Uyghur Muslims, Arsenal distanced themselves from Ozil's social media comments almost immediately. Then came coronavirus and Ozil refusing to take a pay cut during the height of the pandemic in April, the only Arsenal player to do so. He hasn't played for the club since. Ozil is now essentially the world's highest paid social media admin, left on match days as the highest paid player in the Arsenal squad to live tweet their games. Arsenal and Arteta insist Ozil's exclusion from the squad has nothing to do with these off-the-field issues, but that seems hard to believe. Ozil and his representatives certainly don't believe it, with the player himself reportedly maintaining they are the reason the club have essentially decided to end his career at Arsenal. It has taken some time, and what are we? We are just over half an hour from the, from the window closing, and Arsenal have pulled off the signing of Meza Ozil. A five-year contract was put on the table to him. He has signed that. As a lot of these people are telling me here, one of the best players in the world is coming to Arsenal. The 24-year-old, in the prime of his career, has signed a five-year deal uh, to join Arsenal. The fee, £42.5 million, pounds, smashing, smashing Arsenal's previous transfer record by some £27.5 million. Pounds. Mesut Ozil is now only playing in the Premier League. Mesut Ozil has been at Arsenal for seven years, Chris, but it feels inevitable now he's coming to the end of his time at the club. His contract expires next summer when he'll be a free agent. And given the current situation, it is wild to think back on when he first arrived, when Arsenal fans were celebrating outside the stadium on deadline day, the jubilation, the scenes were, were quite something. It would have been hard to imagine going from there to this ending here. It hasn't quite worked out the way fans, club and player would have wanted. Yeah, that's that's fair. I mean, I was at his Arsenal debut against Sunderland at the Stadium of Light. Um, and to be honest, he was, he was fantastic. He just floated around the pitch, picked it up in pockets and 
you could see instantly he was going to improve that attack. And and that's no surprise because he arrived from a Real Madrid side where, again, he was not the star of the show, but he was a very heavy contributor in terms of the way that team attacked. So I think, yes, that jubilation was there, but I think, honestly, it slowly replaced itself with, I think, quite a misleading perception that he was lazy and self-indulgent and you had to play to him which look I think yeah to a certain degree you have to play to him but it wasn't as if he arrived as a box-to-box midfielder and suddenly became what he is now he's always been that I think honestly as much as people might want to talk about his decline I actually think he's stayed pretty much the same it's Arsenal that have declined and so the separation between the two for me is representative of Arsenal's drop in terms of they were this team that challenge for the league and and I think when they signed him had quite a glowing ambition to get back there but the truth is I don't think they've been close there since I really don't and they've tried to maneuver the market in in smart ways and and sign the Giroux of this world who was there when he joined and and think outside the box and avoid these mega fees because even that was deemed a mega fee at 42 million but it just hasn't worked for them and we could spend hours dissecting the Wenger legacy in the latter years, but I think ultimately, yeah, his perception, I think, has been one where too often it's easy to scapegoat him because he's not something he never was anyway. I think that's really interesting. I, do you think that perception, Lawrence, that kind of story of Ozil, staying on the pitch for a moment, but obviously I think there is that aspect that Chris talks of where He's almost been left behind by Arsenal, but do you think he's been left behind by the game, in a sense? A number 10, obviously a position that perhaps tactically isn't as as central as it was a couple of years ago. Do you think that has something that's sort of contributed to this decline we've seen on the pitch, firstly, of Ozil? I guess uh, he seems more adaptive than that, I think, in terms of his play. And I, I think most that there are a lot of players who have managed to adapt from a number 10. So if anyone could have done it. I would say Mesut Ozil is probably capable. Um, you know, I, I think the fact that his, his delivery, his ability, uh, the fact that he was able to deliver from multiple positions on the pitch means that it's not necessarily the position. I do think it's more uh, more like the PR wrangle, if you will, that both these sides have sort of gotten themselves into. And for some strange reason, I think sometimes, I know it's a strange one, but if you piss off a billionaire, sometimes they don't like it. Why? I mean, Chris, you said there that you think, even before we get into to the situation we're in now and charting that from you know last December, almost a year ago, why do you think that reputation that Ozil has is unfair? Because, I, as I said before, I, I don't think he has developed into what he is now. I think he's been consistent. He is an incredibly high-level creative midfielder that, yeah, is not going to put tackles and interceptions in. He, he may be able to press, but I'm, I'm not sure if that's what that midfield needed. The erosion of Arsenal's midfield from, let's say, its, its apex under Wenger to what it had become when I think they started to turn on him was that they lacked real quality in terms of someone that could defend in central midfield could do both sides of the ball essentially what they've got in Thomas Partey now I think what they've kind of eventually managed to solve and 
I'm hesitant to be as reductionist and say, you know, spirit and fight and all these intangibles, but genuinely just a good midfielder that can screen the defence and provide some kind of steel in the midfield. And running parallel to that, I think, is a set of players that over time just lacked character at certain points. And it became too easy to blame him because he was this rare foray into the market where, yeah, they did sanction big wages and spend big money. And then at the same time, like I remember before he signed his contract extension, there was talk about him leaving. And honestly, I thought that's the best thing for all parties. This, this, these two should not sign an extension because it's not going to benefit anyone. It's a, a total money dump in terms of wages. And I don't think he's actually going to enjoy his football. He needs to go to a club that can accommodate him and sort of alleviate him of any kind of defensive responsibility or play in a way that is more uh, conducive to, to what he offers. And that's just not going to be Arsenal. And I'm not sure if it's going to be Arsenal moving forward either, because to me, it doesn't look as if uh, Arteta is going to ape the kind of false eight type midfielder or uh, false 10, excuse me, or whatever it is that, that Pep has at, at City with the likes of Silva and, and De Bruyne. He is going to ape it, then uh, it's not going to be a mess up. <laughs> I was all playing there, put it that way. Uh, sadly, for Mesut. Yeah. The, obviously, his influence on the pitch certainly has been declining at Arsenal in recent years. But as I said, what you can sort of trace back, or it feels like you can trace back the situation that Ozil currently is in, is back to last December when he tweeted out a public denunciation of China's treatment of the Uyghurs. Um, well, but, but I feel like that kind of goes back at one step further, though, doesn't it? With his treatment from the Germany, the German national team as well. Please and explain. obviously everything that was said there. Uh, I, I think at one point he he basically, off the top of my head here, uh, he got into a kind of a disagreement about, I think, the cultural diversity, basically, of the German national team and how very often uh, foreign players can be scapegoated when uh, what basically what, what are seen as uh, white Germans, I guess, are uh, lauded as, you know, great German nationalists, uh, patriots or whatever. The foreign players are often scapegoated when bad results happen in either tournaments or in um, or in friendlies. And he it, it basically turned out that he, uh, I, I felt a bit sorry for him really, because uh, to put it, to put it, uh, to put it, Clearly, I think he was let down by the other national team players who didn't come out on his side and ultimately let him down by not backing him up. And basically, I think there was a bit of a closed shop there where, I can't remember, was it Thomas Muller or someone along those lines? Someone along those lines. It might have been Tony Cruz. It was either Tony Cruz or Thomas Muller, someone like that, who basically came out and said, I don't see this. And he was kind of let down. And I think in that moment, you saw a bit of a, a change in the demeanour of Ozil as obviously he was very much a victim in that situation uh, and let down by the people around him, I think he started to look more at or was maybe already quite aware of, but this was the first time he spoke out about what he felt was some sort of social injustice or some sort of wrongdoing. Hmm. I think uh, this one in December was definitely, it was the most stark speaking out he's done on quite a difficult issue. I think we spoke about this a couple of months on the podcast. Obviously, with regards to Black Lives Matter, there was kind of this universal support. It felt like, anyway, at the time. But it felt like there was kind of a universal support behind it, a universal movement. Something like the situation in China felt a lot more complicated, a lot more nuanced, mainly because of the 
conflict of interests that are there, obviously. Chinese owners in, in English football, sponsors, etc. They're eager to do business in the Premier League. It felt like this was almost too controversial a topic for Ozil to be talking about in a way that would be palatable to Arsenal, to the Premier League, that wouldn't threaten their commercial interests, essentially, um, and would cause them problems down the line. Obviously, we saw... I think almost immediately after he tweeted out, two of the Premier League's broadcast partners in China refused to air Arsenal matches. Um, you know, there was talk about his Weibo account being disabled, which has 6 million followers in China. That wasn't actually true in the end, but there did seem to be this push to erase Ozil. Looking back on it, Chris, what did you make of that situation when he did tweet out? Because I think... He deserved to be commended for it. It felt like there was support for him at the time, if not from the club, and if not from the Premier League. There did seem to be a vocal section of Arsenal supporters and, and football fans who were praising Ozil's decision to speak up for something that is complicated, that is difficult, but is obviously something that's close to his heart. Yeah, I think I, ultimately we've seen this actually with the NBA as well, is that any kind of political statement as it relates to China is met with a very, I think, aggressive response. Mm. And that's why you've seen a hesitancy, I think, with certain quarters of the NBA for making a statement, because as you say, there are existing business relationships. The thing that I, I struggle with when it comes to, to this kind of stuff is, I think now more than ever, we, on the one part, encourage players to be not political as much as voice their opinions and, and tell us what they stand for. And you're right, I think, Ozil deserved credit for standing up for this and speaking about something he cares about because I think I had this discussion with Adam Crafton the other day through the pod's Twitter account about Marcus Rashford and, and the situation with feeding children and you know why did his campaign work because that, that to me is not a political issue, that's feeding hungry children and I'm sure that Mesut Ozil would say the same, that this is not a political issue to him, this is the persecution of innocent people mm. and that is just a human issue so I think it is no great surprise to me that a lot of the people involved did not want to say anything because I think that's what I've come to expect from them. What I would add to that as well is that, you know what? Yeah, it, it might cost Ozil playing time. It might cost him whatever. But I think he will be on the right side of history. And, and while that may not be of much comfort to him now, I would hope that in time it will be because it is easier to stay quiet in these situations. It is easier to toe the party line, if you like, or, or not mess with your money or mess with your playing time. But I think he, he deserves credit for actually having the willingness to speak on a matter that could so easily have been ignored by him. Hmm. I think this is the interesting thing as well, in which I'll link to in the, the show notes of this podcast. There's a brilliant article in the New York Times by Rory Smith about this Ozil situation, Obviously, Roy Smith is somebody who's very well connected. Within the article, he talks about how Ozil and his representatives are convinced that his current situation, having been left out of the squads for Arsenal, stems back to to this moment. Um, this is the moment where everything changed in terms of why Arsenal are making these decisions. Arsenal, the club, are adamant that that's not the case. Um, well, of course, can, 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 could Arsenal publicly say that that was the case anyway? Of course not, but that's kind of the... Uh, the difficult thing to swallow and kind of the, the hypocrisy that we often 
see. Obviously, Arsenal are not speaking about this issue. They are speaking about Black Lives Matter. They obviously came out in support of that. We've seen the club recently tweet about the situation in Nigeria, saying that they see their Nigerian fans, they hear them, speaking with concern about their situation, still very quiet, very silent, as we've seen with other brands, companies, institutions around the world about the situation in China. There is yeah. that hypocrisy there. Obviously, Arsenal are denying that this has anything to do with the situation of Ozil, but it is hard to not, it is hard not to suspect that's got something to do with it, Lawrence, because it is unfortunately so controversial. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm not really. Um, I, I completely agree with what Chris said as well. I do think he will. He will be ultimately in the fullness of time. He will come out on the right side of history, right? I guess from my perspective, when I saw that, um, when I saw what he said, uh, I felt a bit conflicted because I thought what is the expectation from what he said here and what's the expectation from the way that he's delivered it? Um, and how will that help people? What's the practical outcome of this? Because ultimately people's lives are in the balance here. If, if that's the case and, and it is the case, obviously we know that's the case. We know, we know, I think, I mean, I think we know um, that China has done some fairly uh, un awful things to the Muslim population in that area. And that's that's horrific. And I don't think that we can get beyond that. That's, you know, that, that's sort of beyond that. But if you want to help that, I think it's going to take a lot more when you are basically challenging a, a dictatorship, as we saw with the NBA, as we saw anywhere. And that's where I guess it felt a little naive, possibly, to make this move on his part. Not only because they have an American owner who I'm not 100% sure is... Uh, we say aligned to a sympathetic um, Muslim uh, cause. Um, I also think that there will be people in China who are associated with Arsenal that would then have been worried or possibly felt they put in some sort of danger by what he'd said. And finally, I did wonder what those comments were going to achieve. Now, they might have drawn some attention to it, and I think that's fantastic. I don't know what the end goal was and I didn't see much happen after that and I didn't see much coverage of that after that now maybe I've not been seeing it but it did feel a little bit naive I guess would be my argument there and good at the road to hell is paved with good intentions um and that that was partly what I felt there was it was a really well-intended thing but ultimately it felt a little bit um ill-conceived possibly and it can be honourable and it can be fantastic that he said it. And a lot of people, you know, tweeted with him and I think that's great. I'm still not quite sure what we achieved from it, what the practical outcome was. And that's not me trying to undermine what his cause is. It's just me saying, could he have gone to the club and said, is there something we can do here? Could, maybe he did that. Could he have gone somewhere else? And maybe he felt this was a last resort. Maybe he felt like quite a desperate man. Or there's a possibility that he's also had a calling and he felt like he's seen a calling. There might be some things going on privately that we don't know with Ozil, which we only, again, in the fullness of time, we'll see. I, I guess the thing for me is there's like an instinct that I get that there is always more to both sides of the story every time that I hear it. And I'm not saying that either side is a good guy or a bad guy. I just always feel like something's being held back, but I don't know what. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think that is the question. I think the interesting thing with Urza is you can understand why he would be so outraged, why he'd feel the absolutely the it's need a terrible to speak thing. out about it. Um, as we were saying just before we started recording, but <laughs> not everyone, not everyone's best man at their wedding is a world leader. Uh, Meza Urza's right. best man was the Turkish president Erdogan. You know, maybe he was thinking, okay, not only my tweeting out there and my outrage and let my feelings know that I speak up for this issue but maybe you know but he could have a little sort of leverage there a little sway potentially on a good friend maybe he's in the group chat the stag group chat saying listen mate you know is there anything you we remember, can do about this what I did for you on the stag too yeah exactly. what's you know what can we do about the Muslim situation so I think that you could understand why Ozil you know uh, being an incredibly popular athlete but also with the connections and the relationships he had would feel that maybe there's an influence that you know he has to say something over, over, over the chinese government at this point no we, not, we, we, not we, the no, chinese government not negotiate but with any other nation in the world and ultimately no. run other people's economies by proxy we think that <laughs> meza ozil raising this was going to somehow change the course of no, chinese no. history i think it's fair to say meza ozil has more influence than most when speaking about this particular issue Turkey being a Muslim-majority nation, as I said, the president being his best man, you would understand why Urza would feel... Do you think he felt more... that more people might stand in step with him and actually that didn't happen either and there would be more people who might follow suit and that didn't happen? I was a bit think... disappointed by that, ultimately. Potentially, I think, listen, as with most athletes, they're trying to bring awareness to an issue. and I certainly think that Urza did that. Um we're here talking about kind of the, the hypocrisy of, of Arsenal, the football club, about how this is an unfortunate situation and we're commending Ozil for bringing attention to that. That's a very small byproduct of him pressing send on that tweet. So I think there is a, there is a value to it, even if there is, as you say, kind of a... Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. A naivety, almost a... Almost a, a futile aspect of tweeting out about this issue. It still does have a ripple effect that is positive ultimately. And I do ultimately, have... ultimately people are still dying in China. I think we should probably point that course, out. Ultimately, people you know, are still being massacred in that area of China. And I think it's criminally under focused on in the news. Well, I don't think yeah. there's enough, you know, headlines given to it. I think it's a very unfortunate situation and the conflicts of interest, the blurred lines there and the the profit over morals, ultimately, I think is something we're seeing very starkly with this. I think what's interesting, Chris, is that 
following on from that situation where you've got that fissure between Urzo and the club, you then roll into obviously the pandemic, football being called off for three months, being forced to reckon with the financial reality of that, Arsenal asking every player to take a pay cut, um, trying to force that through, most accepting eventually those salary cuts apart from Meza Ozil, um, which just seemed to make that fissure worse. At the same time, when you look at the situation, you can almost understand Ozil's point of view. He apparently asked questions. Where is this money going? Uh, <laughs> is this going to protect non-playing staff? Is the club's owner also going to be contributing to this pay cut? How does this actually work in practical terms? There is kind of almost that, as you were sort of mentioning before, that temptation to label Urza as the bad guy. He's refusing to take a pay cut. He's the highest paid player of the club. He's money grabbing. He's greedy. However, when you kind of hear about the situation in a little bit more depth, perhaps you can understand why he was reluctant to simply take a pay cut, no questions asked, during this pandemic, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think uh, Arsenal weren't the only club to seek to furlough staff or, or what have you and I think we took that back the... Chris come on now come on with your subtle digs we all we all we all, we all made our mistakes in the pandemic come on now we all we all did U-turns you know? we all did U-turns and just because you just because your owners are better man than either of our owners Chris come on um, yeah regular Robin Hood um, yeah. but no I, th- I think look you know they, they weren't the only club some some rightly U-turned and deserve credit for that. Uh, others, I think, what what I would say is is in totality whether they they did or they didn't. Clubs on the whole will often preach about the community, about the importance of family, etc. But then actually, when it comes to pounds and pennies, will preach something very different. And I think mesut ozil was absolutely well within his rights to question how will this money be used why do you need to do this because i think we would all do that in that position i think any of us would sense at least would do that and so it was very easy to paint him as the villain because i think a very established narrative in football is that footballers are overpaid that they get so much and you know they never go without but i don't think for ozil it was necessarily a case of he was worried that he was going to be earning £345,000 a week all of a sudden. I think his concern was that he has an owner that is a multi-billionaire, has, I would say, the access to considerably more money than anybody at that football club, and yet is asking for people to defer wages as if they are a League Two club like Sir Macclesfield, who are in genuine financial hardship. So, yeah, I, I think it's been an interesting year, I think, for footballers in terms of social issues and being things that are not athletes. And Ozil has very much been in that camp because I think it's almost stopped being about football at this point. You're watching a very tumultuous divorce play out with both knowing that it's not going to reach any conclusion until the summer. So you will probably see, I think, between now and then, a considerable number of passive-aggressive actions that unfortunately will make it a bit of a difficult place to exist. And I, I don't envy Mikel Arteta for that. Divorce is a very nice way of putting it, I think, because actually that we are ultimately the friends who go to the bar with either side and hear the stories about the other person. And 
I think that is partly the state of the media that we have now and why it feels like such a confusing situation as a set of fans because we're like, this guy did something good and then, but, but you know, but I love Arsenal and like he's he's not doing the best for Arsenal is what I'm told and and it really feels like they're seeding things with different, both sides, I guess, are going to different journalists and giving them an exclusive or giving them a piece of information. It doesn't make uh, Mesut Ozil equally as bad, obviously, as Arsenal. But I think when you begin to take part in that process and you start to play into the PR machine, it becomes more like tennis than it does about, you know, the actual thing. And, you know, we hear bits from the wife and then we go out to the bar with the husband and we hear, you know, he wasn't always kind to the kids, like all these sorts of things. And ultimately it's it plays out like that. I look at the way the discourse has changed, though, as well. I I think you look at the way football fans talk about their team. I think increasingly they will do so in business terms now. I think right. that has become, you could argue it's an Americanization of the game with the salary cap and the way that finances play a much greater role. We obviously don't have that in football, but I think when we talk about the amount of money a player is is, uh, is taking or even how much a manager has been given to spend, how much they've wasted, et cetera, et cetera, I think there's been a much greater focus on the management of resources as opposed to the management of players. It's kind of an interesting one to add to that as well, because, um, or Adam, as we're having a serious podcast. Um, it's, it, I did say to you before the podcast, how many people do you think would be supportive of Ozil's cause if he wasn't a footballer? And as his role as a footballer diminishes and changes away from being a footballer, how many people will still be sympathetic towards that? Like, would would anyone really have listened if he wasn't a footballer? And I'm not saying that to diminish his um, his cause. I'm just saying, like, the overall analysis there is this guy is a footballer. He's prominent for footballing. Hmm. No, I think obviously he, he wields an incredible influence, and he's he's remarkably like one of the most popular most influential players on social media his appeal and his reach around the world is is huge bigger yeah. than 95 percent of players i think for me yeah. the kind of the mad thing is i think it would have been easy for ozil to come off badly in the situation pr wise right. i think obviously the china situation was controversial but i think morally as you guys are saying he's on the right side of history I think with a pay cut situation, with most fans and most clubs, a player refusing to take a pay cut during a pandemic would be something that just isn't palatable to, to fans. It's not something that do, they'd do, understand. Do you, do, you or... think that, do you think ultimately, though, they that also that's partly where Chris is thinking now is the way that that was presented in the media was much less about him refusing to take a pay cut from Arsenal. It was much more that he was refusing to take a pay cut from Stan Kroenke or whoever it was at the time. And I therefore, so. it was like, oh, it's, he's in a battle with a billionaire and we hate those people at the moment. So it wasn't really termed as he's at odds with Arsenal. To an extent, but I think it was more... I do think it was more Arsenal, the club, scoring own goals in terms of this PR yeah. tennis battle you're, you're sort of talking or, about or, to mix some also, small bear yeah. there. But it's, it's, it's a great, but also because he, he also said, uh, I think, you know, obviously it's been very clear down the years that Mesut Ozil has um, donated a lot to charity. And I think part of that was basically Definitely. people then also made the point, well, what you're ultimately doing here is taking money away from charity. Exactly. And I think Ozil refusing to take a pay cut, I think, looks one way 
two months later when Arsenal sack 55 staff members, you know, because they can't afford it. And despite all of these these uh, salary cuts they've imposed on the players, you know, still doing that, I think it makes it hard to understand for for fans and for for people who are following the situation. The deciding factor there is not Ozil refusing to take a pay cut. It's the club's decision. And it's therefore the reputation of the club which gets called into question. I think what makes it more complicated, Chris, is when you look at the Gunasura situation, that's when I I start to question Ozil's motives a little bit because I think that was obviously (laughs) of the 55 staff that were sacked. One of them was uh, Jerry Key, who is the lifelong fan who has been Gunasaurus for 27 odd years. Um, Jerry will always be Gunasaurus. Quite a kind of, obviously a sad situation, but kind of quite laughable and and mad at the same time that a big green dinosaur is uh, potentially the final. Do you think they made him like give his badge? Like in, you know, in like a police drama, a police, um, you know, badge. A police drama yeah. where they go, yeah. I need your badge. I need your, like, yeah, your suit, yeah, etc. Probably. Yeah. I mean, that would have been a very sad sight to uh, to be witness yeah. to. But yeah. the fact, Chris, that Ozil managed to win that PR battle as well, and sort of quite, I think, obviously, uh, sort of try and get himself on the good side of Arsenal fans and football fans everywhere by offering to pay. Jerry Key's salary for as long as he's at Arsenal Football Club. That's when I've got a lot of sympathy and a lot of time for Ozil um, yeah. and the stances he's taken here. But that's when you start to, for me, go, okay, this is this is a savvy operator here. I understand what he's, what he's trying to do. This is not a, a selfish, selfless, sort of purely moralistic gesture on his part. There's a, there's a calculation there on, on Ozil's part. Yeah, I, I, it's always difficult as well because you know what, you, you you can't know the intent of man. Realistically, you, you're speculating on that in the same way that that we all are. I think, as I said before, this is where you will see these type of things, like like the tweeting through the game the other night. You'll see stuff like that. He'll, I think, he will continue to supplant himself in the conversation around Arsenal, because at the minute he is the three hundred and fifty thousand pound a week white elephant in the room. Because like I said, like I said before, you know the way that we discuss football now in in financial terms, that three hundred and fifty thousand pounds, that's a lot of money. I think I think sometimes we look at it as well. If we sold him, we could get another player in or, or whatever. And maybe some of it is because you know, on say Football Manager, you're a lot more aware of finances and how you play with your budgets and and all that stuff. I I just think that for me, you know, maybe it's because it's late in the evening here or or what have you. I just think, is there not better ways for everyone to expend their energy? Would it not be wise for you to just to say, you know what, let's just cancel the contract now. Let's just, let's reach a figure that feels, because he's clearly not going to play for them much, if at all, between now and January. So look, just say, look, let's just pay you up until January. You can go now, find yourself a a gig wherever you want to go and play there, whether it's MLS where he can be this brand new star in in America or whether he wants to go back to Germany or, or what have you. But I just think, it feels like a monumental, colossal waste of time, energy and resources on everybody's part now. Because I just think, look, it, it served, it has served its purpose. You tried it, it didn't work, that's fine. I don't think you need to torch each other's villages for, for this to move on to the next phase of life. Do you know what I mean? 100%. I mean, do you think, do you think Arsenal made a mistake here, Lawrence? Because they've obviously gone 
I think, obviously the club are in a minute, they've said, we need to punish Urzo here. He's put us in, to put it lightly, an awkward situation in terms of sponsors and, and commercial interests. He's refused to take a pay cut when the squad have. We need to take a tough stance here. We're going to cut him out of our Premier League squad, our Europa League squad. I know Mikel Arteta's commands that it's got nothing to do with any of that stuff. It's my decision. I failed to get the best out of Urzo on the pitch. Do you feel like Arsenal have made a mistake here? Because surely a player of that calibre, given some of the performances we've seen from Arsenal this season, could be pretty useful. Is there not a pragmatism they could have adopted in order to, to include him and, and use him, at least until the remainder of his contract in the summer? I see what you're saying. I guess, that, uh, yeah, um, to, to counter that point, would you say, uh, you know, if, if he genuinely isn't part of uh, Arteta's plans, then, you know, move on ASAP. Um, is it also that uh, Arteta did say he wanted a certain kind of attitude from the players? Is this necessarily the attitude that Arteta uh, wants at the club? Does he kind of feel a bit like he's a bit of a circus on the side of something that really is taking away from the Arteta revolution oh well we say revolution is uh you know we've all seen the graphic with emery but you know the arteta change evolution. yeah 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 uh, yeah the art yeah the arteta changes that are going on there does he feel like it's undermining that in some sense is it also arteta's in, in some ways frustrated because that is tying up some of what he might be able to spend on what three four other players possibly at arsenal um and that that maybe could you know while while maybe ozil sees this as a wrangle with ultimately a billionaire on one side there are some other, you know, casualties, I guess. Not that I have a lot of sympathy for the football players, but, and also, I don't know, I, I guess in time we'll see, this is part of it. I do think that news cycles do kind of tick around. And Chris, you probably know this in writing for some news cycle sites in the past. You start with one view and then the next day there's another article that shifts to the other view. And then mm -hmm. you finish on sort of a mid-range, you know, oh, maybe both sides can sort of be right. And ultimately, we don't really explore the subject. We just kind of go one side, the other side, we finish in the centre. And it finish, at the moment, there does seem to be a lot of just very confusing information coming out on both sides. And us in the middle, just sort of going, well, it's terrible for the football. Well, it's also terrible for us. It is terrible for the football. I, I am almost fully on Ozil's side here. It's the thing. I just feel like the whole situation is sickening. In that, what, what is Ozil's side though? What, do, you, do you mean in terms of? I mean, leaving in, the club? I think I think the club is China and stuff. I think the club have been out of order in how they've treated him, right? Because I think they've treated him poorly. They've completely bombed him out of the squad based on him standing up for moral issues he believes in. As you right. said before, some would say it's political. Some would say these are these are human issues that he's trying to bring awareness to. I think the pay cut situation is a little bit murkier and the Gunnosaurus kind of situation happens after that kind of muddies the waters a little bit because there is a PR maneuver on his part there in order mm -hmm. to, to gain sympathy or gain approval. But I think largely speaking, we're just entering into a very difficult economic reality in the next six to 12 months. And you've got a football club who are paying a player who's not even paying almost half a million pounds a week the whole thing is just so sort of is it a very hard on both sides in a sense like no one wins if you both do this like it is it is exactly also, but i, I think is, he, you did I th you know I, th I guess what i'm trying to do is explore the story here i'm not necessarily trying to make the other side but what i'm saying is um 
you know, don't go to the Premier League if you don't want to swim with the billionaires or, you know, if you value mm. your morals, don't necessarily come to the Premier League because, you know, Troy Deeney's just signed to do something with the sun. We're not the most moral place in the world. Yeah, it's just, you know, I think Urza wins in the sense that Arsenal are the ones who've lost out his talent. Arsenal are the ones who are paying him for no reason. He's the one who comes out of this situation having stood up for his morals, having earned all the money he was going to earn anyway. Um, yeah. A good PR exercise on his part. But who actually kind of pays for this situation? Who actually ends up losing? Potentially, you could argue, mm -hmm. these 55 staff members who got sacked because of this standoff between a very highly paid player and the club who seem to do have... You, are you buying into the narrative there, though, Bob, that's been put out there by the club, that ultimately the club were basically saying and juxtaposing his wages with other people when actually... No, I, I don't think it's as simple as... I don't think it's as simple as that, but when you actually look at who is losing, who has come right, off this okay. situation poorly, yeah, I think Arsenal have given themselves a bit of a black eye in terms of PR, and I don't think they've made themselves yeah. look good at all, but they will continue, they will carry on, you know, they'll move past this, Ozil will leave in the summer for nothing, he'll go to another club, he'll play more football, he'll... he'll be fine. I think I said before we started like that kind of front free bingo, you know, oh, this is sociological it's issues, culture, it's cultural religion, issues, there's, there's a bit of hyper-capitalism. Yeah, you know, yeah, all Chris good Hennig. things to tick off the list in our half-hour podcast. Chris Hemmage as well. I just wanted Statman Dave. The only thing we're lacking here is Statman Dave basically telling us that he was not the best number 10 of all time in yeah. the Premier League or something like that. And then, Or the number 10 position is obsolete or something like that, you know, tactically. Yeah, I mean, that's, that is a very Dave thing to say right now and ultimately he would say there's a, you know, I think Dave would be making the moral argument and then basically say but he shouldn't have played anyway but tactically he, which overall yeah, yeah. yeah which yeah Urza's in the wrong tactically yeah exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly and that's <laughs> and ultimately that's what Arsenal fans should look at <laughs> yeah uh, um, I guess from, you know and, and ultimately I, I do think the Premier League uh, we, you know we are kind of seeing a bit of a breakdown I guess here in the perception of these big companies whereas at one time it was a bit more you know, uh, benevolent owners kind of coming in and saving people. And, you know, Arsenal was seen as the prudent club and, you know, saving money and they built the stadium, etc. Yeah. It, and I mean, the, the truth has sort of been outed in many yeah. situations throughout COVID. And they don't help themselves. Obviously, the, the pay-per-view controversy, you know, paying £15 Did, per game. Obviously, we've seen a lot of positive come out of that and fans donating. Them. So they've basically upheld the decision, I think, to continue that. Am I wrong? Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, what I heard was they were considering they're like, lads, this has gone down really badly. Fifteen pound. How about we just uh, knock it down to ten pounds? Do you reckon that'll work? And it's like, brilliant. I think you're, I think you're missing Brilliant. the point. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. I think, like, I think that's you missed not the issue. Track. Read the room. That's not, not the way that the room. Not is trying saying. to yeah. find. Yeah, not trying to find the perfect point where it's not too much that it's controversial, but it's not too little that we can't, you know, bleed fans dry. Um, I think they're saying boo earns. Yeah, exactly. Uh, any closing thoughts, Chris, on this uh, mess of situation with, with Arsenal and Urza? Any arrows you want to fire? I will leave us on the thoughts of the great Mr. Paddington Bear. Oh. If we are kind and polite, the world will be right. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.